We're going to read the Word of God together this morning from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. If you'll join me in these words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Now, you may be seated. (laughs) And if you will, take that outline that we provided for you, and uh, we hope that will be helpful for you as we look at God's Word together this morning. Also, you know what? We probably ought to mention this. Uh, There's only so much that we can cover on a text and in a sermon on Sunday morning. Uh, Let me encourage you to take those home with you, put them in your Bible, and maybe in your personal devotional time throughout the rest of the week, you can continue to reflect on that passage, and there's probably a whole lot more that God could reveal to you than we can do in the time together here this morning. It was the first day of work at the grocery store for this teenage boy, and he's working in the produce section. A lady comes by and says, young man, I'd like to buy a half a head of lettuce. He said, ma'am, I don't think I can do that. She said, well, sure you can. He said, I don't think I can do that. And, but she persisted. He said, well, I'm going to have to check it out with my manager. So he goes to the back of the store to see the manager. What he doesn't realize is that the lady is following behind him and is just a few feet away. He gets to the back of the store and said, sir, there is this stupid old hag out here that wants to buy a half a head of lettuce. The manager's face just gets ashen white because he realizes the lady's standing right behind the boy. He doesn't realize the boy doesn't. So the manager kind of motions to the guy to turn around. He sees the lady back here, and he says, And sir, this nice lady here wants to buy the other half. <laughs> Would that be all right? And the manager said, Well, sure, that'd be great. Later that afternoon, the manager finds the son, and he, was, he wanted to compliment him on his quick thinking on his feet. And he said, son, uh, that was really you know, smart the way you handled that back there. He said, uh, where are you from? The boy said, sir, I am from Toronto, Canada, the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. <laughs> he said, uh, the manager said, uh, young man, my wife is from Toronto. He said, oh, what team did she play for? (laughs) Now, that's funny. That's funny. But you know, a lot of times the words that come out of our mouths aren't funny. Matter of fact, sometimes uh, the words that come out of our mouths, we need to be very careful about how we use them because words have tremendous power. They have tremendous influence either for good or for harm. The passage this morning lays out pretty clearly the the level and the extent to which words influence. Look at what the proverb says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. There's two things that I want us to focus on this morning that I think are profoundly important that this passage is wanting us to to understand. First is this. By what you say, you are speaking either life or death 
into persons. Something significant is going on whenever you open your mouth. Whenever you engage in a conversation, you are offering either life or death into a person. You're either making that person, by the things you say, you're either making that person more alive or you're making them less alive. You're either building up and strengthening their spirit or you're weakening and diminishing or killing their spirit. Words matter. Words are important. Words last. Words leave a mark on the person who's receiving them in ways that you probably don't fully comprehend. You might, you might say something hurtful to somebody, and the next day, you've forgotten all about it. But they're going to carry those words possibly for the next 30, 40 years. And they're going to continue to gnaw at that person's heart and spirit because of some hurtful thing you said that you didn't think much about. You can offer a teenager a word of encouragement, say, I believe in you, you're going to do something great one day. And you might not think the words are all that significant, and you might forget about it the next day, but those words just probably might be the catalyst that will send that young person uh, in pursuit of a career that's going to make him or her successful the rest of their life. Which are you speaking? Do you speak life into persons, or do you speak death? Are people more alive, or are people less alive? after having a conversation with you. There was a reunion that took place at the 2014 Masters Tournament in Augusta that most people didn't know was going on. Billy Casper was a great golfer a few decades ago. Back in 1968, he was playing in a tournament in Japan. He decided while he was there to visit a military hospital where some of our American soldiers in the Vietnam War were recovered. He made his way throughout the ward and he spoke to the various wounded soldiers. There was one soldier, First Lieutenant Cleve McClary. He was so grossly wounded, he was hardly even recognizable. He lost an arm, he lost an eye in a reconnaissance mission in Vietnam. The doctor got Billy Casper off to the side and said there wasn't any even point even in going and talking with this soldier because he was so far gone. And the young man had already said he wanted to die. But Billy Casper decided to go to see him anyway. So he walks up to his bedside and takes him by the hand, and he says, Young man, I believe that God is going to do something amazingly wonderful in your life. Whatever you do, don't give up. He thanked him for his service, and then he closed the conversation by saying, Young man, God bless you. That conversation was transformational for Cleveland Clary. In fact, he did go on because of the encouragement of that conversation. He went on to recover. Not only did he recover, he found a new purpose in his life. Today, he is one of the most sought-after motivational speakers in the country. He has led tens of thousands of people to a greater understanding of a purpose for their lives because of his testimony. Two years ago, 
Jay Haas, also a professional golfer, uh, happened to be at a Cleve McClary event in South Carolina. He heard his story. And after the, the, the lecture, he went up to Cleve and he said, Listen, I'm Jay Haas. Billy Casper's a good friend of mine. Would you like to meet him? They hadn't seen each other or talked in, since 1968. Cleve doesn't even remember being able to see Casper at all. He said, I would love that. So they arranged a meeting. And two years ago, somewhere on the grounds of Augusta National, Cleve McClary and Billy Casper had a reunion. They came together, they embraced for five solid minutes. They just embraced, held each other, and wept. Everybody around them was weeping as well. McClary said, Billy Casper is the reason that I am alive today. I was ready to die, but he gave me hope. Back in 1968, Billy Casper decided to speak life into a soldier who was near death. I'd suggest to you the greatest accomplishment Billy Casper ever accomplished was not on the golf course, but by the bedside of a wounded soldier as he decided to speak life into him. How do you speak life into into somebody. You speak life whenever you offer words of praise and compliment. Listen, nothing speaks life into a child more than words of praise and affirmation from a parent. Nothing lifts a child's spirits more than a dad who says, you did a great job out there today. I am so proud of you. Nothing breathes life into a a young person more than a mom who says, we are so blessed that you're our son, you're our daughter. We thank God every day for you. You are amazing. We speak life into persons when we offer words of encouragement. When we say words like, you know, don't give up. I believe in you. You can do this. We speak life into persons when we offer words of forgiveness and a second chance. You may know somebody who is eaten up with guilt and shame and everybody else around them is telling them what a horrible person they are and how irresponsible they have been and life is just getting drained and sucked out of them. But if somebody like you speaks life into them, speaks words of grace and forgiveness and a second opportunity... It lifts their spirits and lifts them out of that place of despair into a place of hope. So let me ask you, are you speaking life or are you speaking death into people? Are people more alive or less alive after they've spent time in conversation with you? What you say matters. It has eternal significance. It makes a difference. Do you speak life? Or, on the other side, do you speak death into persons? Several years ago, there was a movie by the title The Joy Luck Club. Maybe you remember seeing that film. Uh, There's a character in that that movie uh, who, there's a little girl who, according to her, had the capacity to see secrets on a chessboard. And this gift that she had enabled her to become the national champion of chess at 
the young age of eight. She only had one liability. And that was a parent, a mother, uh, who was envious of her daughter's gifts and was always just wanting to use her daughter's gifts uh, for her own wealth and power. There's one scene in the movie where the mother makes a cutting remark to the child, talking about how if it weren't for her, the mother, she wouldn't be anything. And She made a statement and the little girl responds back, challenging her mother's assessment. And when she did, the mother looked at her in a stern face. And there was a long, silent treatment. And then she shook her finger and said, Listen, you are nothing. You are nothing at all. Here's what happened next, according to the little girl. What she said to me was like a curse. This power I had, this belief in what I'd been given, I could actually feel it draining away. And all the secrets that once I saw... I couldn't see anymore. All I could see were my mistakes and my weaknesses. And the best part of me disappeared. Let me tell you, that is, the sad thing is that that is not just a scene in a movie. That is a scene that's played, that's a reality that's played out every day. When, when someone is on the receiving end of words that take the life out of them. How do you speak death into somebody? You speak death into somebody when the words that you use are just filled with constant criticism. You always disappoint me. Can't you ever do anything right? You never do what you're supposed to do. And when the person in your life who needs words of encouragement to give them life, if what they're constantly hearing are words of criticism and ridicule and rejection, then little by little, incrementally, you are sapping the life out of them. You're offering them death. By the way, You've probably heard this somewhere else before. Be very careful of the words always and the words never. Those are words that exaggerate usually the negative. You always disappoint me. You're always getting into trouble. You never do what you're supposed to do. You will never amount to much of anything. Check yourself. If you're prone to use those two words, always and never, there's a strong possibility that you are offering death instead of life into the person on the other, hand, on the other side of those comments. How do you speak death to persons? You speak death when the words that you speak are words that are filled with insult. Words that are designed to belittle or to embarrass. 
You may think those words are innocent, but they are doing damage that sometimes takes years to overcome. I want to invite Becky to come up here for just a moment. Becky was sharing with me the other day uh, about an experience she had uh, as a little girl in the third grade uh, from a teacher. By the way, this story is going to reveal how important you teachers are uh, in the lives of young people. Becky, share your story. any young person today or someone who has had that same experience then goodness I want God to use me today but I was in the third grade had not been there but about two or three months when Mrs. McNeil the most dreaded teacher in Morning View Elementary School that anybody ever wanted and I got her and we were doing division that day, and I had always prouded myself to be good at math. And I was sat in the back of the room, and she was calling students up, and I was shy and timid, if you can believe that, back then during those times. Um, she called me, and she wrote a division problem up on the board, and I went up there, my knees just a shaking. And she said, I need you to do this divisional problem. So as I took my hand in that chalkboard, I mean the chalk, on that chalkboard, and started to do the work, I obviously was getting it wrong. And she said, what's wrong with you? You can't do this? And I'm sitting there thinking, I can, but if you'll just back off just a little bit. Well, she got a little bit more impatient with me, and she literally, now you could never do this today because you would be put in jail, but she took my hand, and she slammed my hand against the chalkboard just to screaming at me, telling me, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this math problem? Something is wrong with you. Are you stupid? You can't do this. And as she's slamming my hand against the wall, the chalk flies out of my hand and goes all the way up there to the choir, folks. <laughs> and all of the children were just laughing at me. And here I was just wishing my mom or my dad would walk through the door and rescue me. To this very day, as I progressed forward in my education and went off to college, when I realized that I had to have calculus, when I had to have geometry, when I had to have all the advanced math, all I could think about was Mrs. McNeil and what she told me I couldn't do. Y'all, I barely squeaked by any of those math courses. And to this very day, if someone wants me to do math, I am running the other direction. And it was all because of those words. They stuck and they were so profound. So I, I hope that any negative word in school to all you boys and girls, you can do anything. Don't think about what that teacher is telling you you can't do. You can do it because God made you to be able to do whatever you want 
to do. And folks, that goes for adults as well. But in some ways, as dramatic as that experience was for me, it also built some strong character that prepared me for life ahead. And even, yes, for those, ma those mass situations that today I still have to do to help my grandchildren. Thank you. So you see, Nikki comment years and years ago. Nikki says whenever she does a math problem today, she is a flashback to that experience. My teacher's long forgotten about that, but several years later, Becky's still living with that. Are you speaking life or are you speaking death into persons? All right, now here's the second thing I want you to look about this passage. The other lesson, the other side of this lesson is equally important. And it's this. By what you say, you are cultivating life or death in you. Look, look at the passage again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now what's that mean? If you love to use your tongue to speak life into persons, then you're going to enjoy the fruit of that yourself, and it's going to breathe life into you. You're going to be more alive. If your tendency is to use your tongue to speak death into persons, that's the fruit you're going to eat also. You see, if you pour affirmation and praise and encouragement into others... You're going to be happier. You're going to be more satisfied. You're going to be a more joyful person yourself because it's going to rub off on you. If your tendency is to be critical and to be negative and condescending toward others, then your life is going to be affected. You're going to become negative and condescending. You're going to experience less joy. You're going to be less alive yourself. So it not just affects the one on the receiving end of it, it affects the one who's, who's speaking it. My good friend Rob Renfro is a pastor out in Texas, and he uh, shares how uh, early in his ministry uh, he was serving a little rural church, and he went to his volunteer secretary and said, give me a list of the, 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 the people in the church that I need to go visit first. And so she made out a list of four or five people, and uh, she said, now, I've got to give you a heads up. I've got to give you a warning about this one person. We'll call her Miss Bessie. Now, those, some of you are in the Sunday school class where we saw this in a video that Rob did. So anyway, he gives, uh, the secretary gives Rob Miss Bessie's address, and he goes to visit her. He said, you, she said, you need to understand she's very critical. She's very negative. Nobody likes Miss Bessie. So he went out and visited her and introduced himself, and sure enough, she lived up to her reputation. She was critical. She was negative. She criticized the former pastor. She criticized people in the congregation never come to see her. She just had this long list of negative things. He went back three or four times to visit with her, and every time it was the same. He reached a point where he felt he'd established a relationship with her so that it was appropriate for him to speak truth into her, hopefully in a loving way. And on one visit, he was out there, and Miss Bessie looked at him and said, Preacher, why is it that nobody from the church ever calls me 
Why, why, how come nobody, none of my friends come out and visit me? I haven't been to that church in two years. Not a single person has come out here to visit me. Why? And Rob took a risk. He said, you want to know? She said, yeah. He got right in front of her face and said, because Miss Bessie, you are a mean, old woman. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be. But right now, you are. And with a sense of real appreciation, she said to him, Preacher Rob, will you help me? Will you help me? Be the, the kind of person that people would want to be around and to quit being so negative. And you know, Rob said, if only somebody had spoken that truth into her years ago, maybe she wouldn't have spent all of her life alone. No meaningful relationships. No friends to come see her. And I share that example to say that an example of this passage. If you speak life into persons, your own life is going to flourish. If you speak death into persons, if the things you say, the way you say things to people takes life from them rather than adding life to them, then guess what? It's going to take life from you. And you're going to eat the fruit of how you eat your tongue. I want to offer you this challenge this morning. And I want to ask you to do this for like a week, but actually, if this could become the the norm for how we respond, that'd be amazing. But for a week, I want to give you this challenge. When you speak to your spouse, or when you speak to a good friend, or when you speak to your son or to your daughter, or to your mom or your dad, As soon as the conversation is over, ask yourself this question. Did I just add life to him? Or did I take life from him? Is she more alive or less alive because of how I just spoke? I think if we were to do that, it would probably radically redefine and reshape the things we choose to say and the way we choose to say them. And remember, what you speak into them is the fruit that you will eat from as well. Let's pray together. Oh God, it's amazing that uh, something as simple as words that flow from our lips 
have this enormous power and capacity for good or for evil. Lord, maybe there's some of us this morning, we are wrestling with a sense of conviction because we know that if our friends, if our family were honest with us, they would tell us that we have a tendency to speak negatively, that we have a tendency to be critical. We probably don't see it ourselves, but if those who loved us were willing to share honestly, they'd probably share that. God, I just pray that if that's us, that you will convict us right now, this very moment, and Help us to see that intentionally or unintentionally we may be brutally wounding the spirits of the people whom we're supposed to love the most. So God, God, give us a greater sensitivity to the power of the tongue and teach us how to use it to add life. Well, God, I know there are many of us perhaps this morning who are on the wounded side of this equation and uh, our hearts and lives have been um, deeply cut and bruised and beaten up by things that may have been said long, 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 long time ago that that person has long since forgotten. But, man, we have carried it with us. It has scarred our spirit and placed within us uh, an opinion about ourselves or perception about ourselves we haven't been able to shake. God, I just pray that for us, we will hear your voice above all the others. Your voice which speaks to us saying, you are precious in my sight. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Uh, you are more valuable to me than anything in all the world. Lord, sometimes we wonder if we can make a difference in this life. This passage reveals to us that to make a difference, we don't have to have a powerful position. We don't have to uh, make a, a huge amount of money and wealth and fame and fortune. But simply, with a timely spoken word of encouragement or praise or affirmation, we can change a life positively forever. Or, with an ill-timed, insensitive, harsh, demeaning word, we can cause great harm that we might forget about the next day but will linger in that person's spirit forever. Help us, O oh God, to know death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they who love it will eat of its fruit. In the name and spirit of Christ we pray. Amen.